Hello, and welcome to The Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson. On this episode, I sat down with Judge Shalina Brown of Santa Clara County. We talked a bit about what it was like for her becoming a lawyer, how she became a judge, as well as a host of other hot topics. Let's take a listen. So welcome to the Victory Podcast. I'm your host, Monique Watson, and I have the wonderful pleasure to have one of my friends who's also a judge, amazing, and a fantastic human being and all the things. And we'll get into a little bit about her background, Judge Shalina Brown. How are you doing, Judge? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. So excited. People can't see this because it's an audio podcast, but I'm doing my happy dance to have Judge Brown on. Yes, we're doing our happy dances because we're very excited. We, we've we uh, known each other for a bit, and uh, we'll get into a little bit of that um, as we go through today. But just to kind of lay out for the folks listening sort of where we're going to go today, we'll talk a bit about Judge Brown, a little bit about herself, how we know each other. Um, we'll talk about how she kind of came into the world of becoming a judge and some tips for others. Maybe they're out there, you know, in high school or middle school. I'm like, I want to be a judge and some tips for that, that she's had based on her career. And then we'll talk um, about her thoughts on, at a high level, without naming specific cases, um, around uh, the police shootings that have gone on in this country over the last number of years, and sort of whether that kind of hits a bit differently as being an African-American woman and part of the justice system, um, what he, and what her thoughts are and some roles of judges and kind of reforming and shaping the justice system. Um, and, and on a host of other topics. So we'll get into it that way. So maybe to kind of kick us off a bit, uh, Judge Brown, you can tell a little bit about yourself and, and about how we know each other. All right. Well, um, I have been a judge for nine years here in Santa Clara County. I am a Superior Court judge. And um, I am a minister at Maranatha Christian Center, which is where Monique and I met one another and have started this wonderful relationship. And, um, you know, it was never my dream to be a judge. I did not think it was possible for me. Um, My dream was to be a lawyer. And I did that for 15 years. Um, I just really wanted to serve, right? I just wanted to be in the community serving. And I'll I'll tell you more later, but I, I just happened upon becoming a judge. Awesome. Really, really cool. Um, so yeah, let's just jump straight into it. So so you happen upon becoming a judge. It's actually interesting because a lot of times people are like, I've always wanted to be a judge. I used to put my stuffed animals out and preside over them. And so that's a little bit different, maybe walk getting there. So maybe you can kind of walk us through that a bit about how you how you kind of made that journey. All right. So let me take you all the way back to the west side of Fresno, California. And when in I say west, side, west Fresno, born and raised. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so I grew up there with my mom, my dad, and uh, my sister. And we always had a relative living with us, always. But anyway, so we grew up on the, I'm going to say modest, but you all can read that as poor. You can read it as black. Um, so I was bused across town and I think it was the third grade, a a lawyer, a woman who was a lawyer came in and she said uh, she was a lawyer and she helped people. I don't remember what else she said, but I can't think of anything else from that moment, what I wanted to do. My mother says that I told her I was going to be a lawyer and that was it. We didn't know any lawyers. She didn't think I'd seen any lawyers. So she was just like, I don't know where you got this from, but they encouraged it. 
And I'm telling you, I went through elementary, junior high, high school planning to be a lawyer. I would dress like a lawyer. I would carry a briefcase to junior high, right? Nerd, right? I would practice being a lawyer. You know, I love Mrs. Huxtable on the Cosby show. She was a little, anything that had to do with the law and I'm gonna date myself. Back in the day, there was no internet, there were encyclopedias. So I would look up things about the law, lawyers, court, and I would just read about it. And I was obsessed with it. And I made it to law school in in, uh, Santa Clara University. And I went and my goal was to be a public defender That was my dream job. I did that for 15 years with no desire to ever do anything else. And two things happened to me. One, a woman, I was teaching a a Bible class at a women's conference and a woman came up to me and she said, what do you do? I think she said, I think you said you're a lawyer. She said, but when you talk, all I see is judge. Have you ever thought about it? And I thought, no lady, you're crazy. That prophecy is not for me, no. And I think it was maybe three months later, um, I was in court and I was arguing a case and one of the older white men, that's who judges are, right? He called me up and he said, I've been meaning to talk to you. I think you should think about becoming a judge. And I was just like, wow. Those are the two things that really start, started me to think that it was possible. Cause from my vantage point, it wasn't possible. There were two black women on the bench, no black men. And those women seemed perfect and amazing. And I just thought uh, that is not for me. So with, with, with those two inspiring things, I just started, I just went for it. And for all those who are listening out there, I failed the first time I went for to be appointed by the governor, went through the whole process. It took like nine months and I didn't get it. And it was devastating. Um, I don't even know how I got the courage to do it again, because once you fail, everybody knows, weren't you trying to be a judge? Aren't you the one who thought you were good enough to be a judge? Oh, you think you're so smart. I tried again and lo and behold, Judge uh, Governor uh, Brown, who was not related to me, by the way, decided that I would make an addition to the bench. And so that's the long and the short of how I became a judge. It wasn't, it was a dream that I didn't even know that I had. That's so, so amazing. It's, it's interesting how the things and, you know, in, in the Bible, it says this, of course, as well, like the, the thoughts that God has for us are, you know, larger than anything we could think of, anything we could ask or think, right? Your, your not knowingly narrow view of becoming a lawyer, public defender, boom, done, here we go. Um, versus where you are now and will afford you so many um, opportunities for, for influencing others and things like that. Right. So, so I want dream yeah, bigger. go ahead. I was just going to say dream bigger. And it, where if you are, you know, no matter where you are, there's always someplace else for you to go. Like I thought I would retire there with gray braids, you know, Birkenstocks going to court, you know, with bat, you know, but um, so think bigger and allow God's dreams. Um, Listen, listen closely and carefully to what people are saying and what God is saying to you. Absolutely. And then in a practical sense, what are some, like if I'm a, you know, if I'm either a parent of a high school or or something like that, what are some things to really focus on as I look towards like um, either later in high school or college and things, if if I'm interested in that? All right. 
So the first thing I would say, no matter what you want to become, dream bigger. There is no one in my neighborhood that was dreaming of being a lawyer, right? And in fact, I had a high school counselor tell me, listen, your dad's a teacher, your mom's a social worker. Um, that seems reasonable, practical. Why don't you try that? Those are great professions. My parents do those things, but I just wanted something different. So don't be afraid to dream different and, and be different, right? So um, the first thing is dream bigger. Just because you don't see it doesn't mean you can't be it. I didn't see anybody doing what I wanted to do that didn't stop me. And then just do what you have to do now, young people, so you can do what you want to do later. That means work hard. Like when opportunities come, if you're not prepared, you can't take advantage, right? So prepare yourself, get ready, study. If there's something you think you want to do, study, hop on the internet. What does it take? Do I need a college degree for this? Do I need a special training for this? Do, you know, what do I need? And just think, think about it and don't limit yourself by what you see around you. Oh, this'll, this'll, if you see me looking down, it's because I have, I'm taking notes and this will be included in the show notes so folks can have it to reference back to. Um, so absolutely, those, that's really good advice regardless. And I think even if people are interested in, in going into the legal profession, whether that's judge, lawyer, what have you, right? Anything. Or anything really, yes. yeah. Anything. Yeah, absolutely. So let's switch gears a little bit. I think that's great career advice, useful for all ages. Um, so as we shift gears a little bit to talk a bit um, of sort of what I'll call hot topics um, that are that are relevant to things that are going on without naming specific cases, as we're all aware, those listening to this podcast, unless you've been living on a desert island with no internet and have never left it, and then I wonder how you're listening to this podcast. Um, we know over the last few years, well, for many years, but has come to the forefront over the last few years, um, a number of um, unarmed people of color, mostly black people, um, being shot by police officers. Um, and I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that um, being shot or, or, or killed in some way, if we, if we name, not naming names, but all the different cases that exist in the variety of ways of, of which harm has come to those persons. I'm curious as a, as a woman who is part of the justice system, as a black woman um, and as a judge, if these kinds of cases hit a bit differently um, and what do you see amongst um, yourself and sort of the response, how your response or your feelings maybe compared to maybe some, some of your colleagues, um, whether they're sort of similar or different or sort of what you're seeing there? What a great question. Um, and it's great for so many reasons because as you and I know, and as you said, this is not new. So from day one that I became a lawyer in the courtroom, this is always before we were born, right, sis? So we've always known that this has happened, but working in this system, it hits so different. Um, you're very aware um, when cases come to you, and maybe it's not a killing, but what are you even pulling someone over who's African-American or deciding who gets bail? Think about what a judge does. A judge decides who gets bail pre-trial. A judge decides if you're convicted, how long your sentence is gonna be, whether or not you get, you know, get this or don't get something else. So for me, it's, it's very personal. 
when I see on the news all these things happening and they say, you know, the system is not fair. And as a judge sitting within the system, it's true. There is systemic racism, um, but it's not just with judges, right? It starts, the, pro the problem with systemic racism is you can't put your finger on it. Is it when the person got pulled over? Is it when the officer decided to use force, more force than he would use with someone, than someone carrying an automatic weapon? Is it with the district attorney when they decide to charge Tyrone with a robbery and Todd with a infraction for trespassing? Is it when the judge sees the person's name or their face and they decide to put a higher bail because they are dangerous inherently because of their skin? Is it because they can't get a fair trial? Is it because the judge is sentencing them more? There are so many things that go through my mind when I watch the news or when I have people come into my courtroom because unfortunately, most because of implicit bias, most people don't see the black man who comes in the way I do. I see him as my father, my uncle, could be my son, my brother, my nephew. And they just see oftentimes, not all the time, but oftentimes they just see a threat. So I work really hard to make sure I see everybody as a person and not as a stereotype to fight that implicit bias. But yeah, it hits me. Some days it hits me. In fact, the summer of the uprising, um, it had me questioning whether, how long, how much longer I could do this work. That's how, that's how different it hit. Can I continue to support a system that is treating my people like this? But can I do more good in the system than outside of it? So I had my own personal um, crisis when, when these things came to the forefront. So great question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, do you think that um, within the system, since the uprising that you're, that you're referencing, um, that others um, are making what you see as real change within the system as far as maybe some of your colleagues, are they are at least open to dialogues around change? Are you seeing some of that or does it feel like face value only kind of like, yeah, okay, we'll do this or... I think half and half. I think, um, it, especially where I work, I think that people are really open. I think this this past summer hit like no other, not just COVID, not just, I mean, there were so many things and I think that people are ready to change. I personally did a um, training on race and implicit bias for judges. And at the end, I was getting calls, emails, text for days. Um, because I think people are ready to hear it, ready to be open for change. So in, in my court, we created the Equality and Social Justice Committee, where we are absolutely committed to addressing our biases so that we can create change. Is that going to happen quickly, friend? It is not. But it is, um, it is encouraging to me because this is a conversation that we have never been able to have what I've never been able to have with my colleagues. And now we have a whole committee that is dedicated to having these conversations around race and ethnicity, and we've never had it before. So I am, I'm actually very hopeful that this is a chance for meaningful change and not just 
same programs and procedures that we never really follow. You know how it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I feel the same way. I'll, you know, you're within the justice system. I thankfully was not going with, haven't had to become part of the justice system aside from uh, a ticket or two along my life. Um, but I think I see the same in the corporate spaces as well. Um, I think people are interested in those conversations. I think there's still that balance of making sure people are clear of what the work is. The right. conversation is a starting point, but like what, what kind of tangible, as much as unconscious bias itself is not tangible, the, the, the ramifications of a unconscious bias are. So to right. really kind of attack those, I know in the kind of corporate um, business world, a big part of it is, you know, really addressing like recruiting and hiring and promotions that, that organizations um, will continue to look like the communities in which they operate and, the, and, the, and that community is not just local to where they actually are, but the community as a whole, right? So more um, gender parity and, and ethnicity and insert, you know, underrepresented groups here um, of a variety of backgrounds and things. Um, I think so, we're yeah. following your concerns because, you know, we say diversity inclusion and we'll go out and we'll recruit minorities but then they, there's no inclusion. Diversity is, you know, recruiting the numbers. We've got you all here, but then we don't do anything. We don't mentor you. We don't yeah. give you access to resources. We don't tell you what how to get on the track for um, advancement, right? So inclusion, we've got to make people feel heard, mm-hmm. give them an opportunity to feel heard and that they're contributing to the organization, right? So diversity is one thing, inclusion yeah. is something different. And for judges, there are only three black judges in Santa Clara County, which is a huge county. We have over uh, almost 80 judges and three mm-hmm. are black. And Santa Clara, 4% of our population is black, but we make up so much of the jail population. So for us, we've got to do the same things. Does our bench reflect our community? And then once you become a judge, are any judges of color and from other minorities becoming presiding judges, the judges who make the policy. So we're paralleling um, corporates, same issues. It's the same. Mm -hmm. Yeah, truly it's a societal issue, which I think is like, to your point, is I think beginning to shift to have earnest conversations where people are moving away from let's make a policy. Let's just have the, the numbers and the conversation. We can talk about it. We can do Black History Month and right. that's done and that's enough. Um, so absolutely. Um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit again, because I really want to talk, um, hear a lot more and have our listeners hear a lot more about the book that you're working on that'll come out in a future date and time. Yes, yes. So tell us about the book. What is sort of the, the, the crux of the book? What's, what's that about? This book is about using all of the things I've learned from being a judge to help people preside and particularly believers, Christians, because I have, I'm, you know, I'm a, um, I don't know if I said it, but I am a, um, a life coach, right? So I coach people and I coach Christians mostly, but I, I've been hearing for years, you know, 
I'm just waiting on God. Um, I don't know if it's God's will. You know, you know how we we say, you know, you know, you know how we, you know, the words that we use uh, when we're not taking action. And so it it I've been writing this book for a long time, but I finally got to it, this idea of stewardship. And it is a principle that we think of when we talk about money. But I have realized that this is a principle that is so important we think about ourselves. God gave us, invested in us, the absolute authority to steward our lives, right? He gave us thoughts, emotions, he gave, you know. So these are the things, our soul, you know, every, we're supposed to be stewards over ourselves, not as an option, but as a mandate. And I really look at Matthew 25 that talks about, you know, the parable of uh, the individual who hid everything they were given into a hole and how God took everything away. Um, but the stewards who uh, went out and traded and got something in return, they were given more. And it is just a life principle for me. When I steward the ideas God gives me, I get more ideas. When I steward my money, I get more. When I steward my health, I get more. When I steward my emotions and not flying off the handle, everything is under control. So I really want to relay this message of stewardship, especially to our faith-based community, because saying things like, well, if it's God's will, that's just kind of, you know, oftentimes that's a cop out for, I don't want to take responsibility for my actions or my decisions. Um, and so I use the idea and the analogy of the courtroom and being a judge because I preside. As a judge, I preside. Everything that's in my jurisdiction, I preside over it. But I never try to go outside of my jurisdiction and preside over something or someone. Like, in other words, I don't go out to the mall and try to arrest people who are talking on the phone in the restaurant too loud. Not in my jurisdiction. I would likely get beat up, right? So knowing what, what's God's jurisdiction, the things that only God can do, let him do that, right? You're worried about tomorrow, you have no jurisdiction. You have regret about yesterday, you have no jurisdiction over that, but you're not presiding over today. So it's just really about how we preside over today and make our tomorrow even better, make it what we choose it to be because we have the power to do so. That's the big, big idea. Sounds amazing. I think it's going to be great. How has the book writing process, now that you've kind of like put both feet in and you're like, all right, we're doing this. Yeah, I have to tell you, COVID gave me so much time because I was home <laughs> for so much time and it really gave me an opportunity to just put my focus on it. And I have to tell you, this has been one of the most difficult yet rewarding things I've ever done. Um, and I took the bar, that's no joke. So this, you know, so this has been some, but I, I've enjoyed it and I'm, I pray that people will get something from it and they will come out of it, you know, transformed from being a spectator that is watching your life go by to being a steward of your life. So it's been challenging, but I have enjoyed it. It's been awesome. Awesome. I'm so excited. So do we have like a rough timeline when we think the book might be coming out or still TBD? Still TBD because I've got a lot of things going on. Yeah, a lot of things in fire. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, so this has been really good and I think really enlightening, at least I know for me and I'm sure for the listeners as they listen to this episode. Um, is there any other like information you want to plug or links that you want to share so people can you know stay tuned on when the books come in or be, get in contact with you get life coach advice any of that 
Um, because I am a judge, I can't really market that right now. I can't. Put okay. It right now, um, but I will keep in touch with you, and I will let you know when my website's able to really drop. Um, but I've, I'm under some ethical constraints right now. But we're gonna work all that out, and when <laughs> it drops, I will let you know. Okay, sounds good. We'll stay tuned, and the listeners will too. So yeah, thank you so much. This was very uh, fun. I had a great time and you're great. I love the title of this victory, Um, but you're doing great work. I loved it. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks again to Judge Shalina Brown for a great conversation and lots of great insight on important topics. After we finished recording, I was able to get clearance from Judge Brown to include her website link. So you'll find those below in the show notes. Please be sure to share this podcast with your friends, your family, and even your enemies. You can find us on all your favorite platforms for podcasts, whether that be Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pandora, you name it, we're on it. Uh, The easiest way to find this podcast and share it is whatever you're using right now, click the link and click share and send it to your friends and family. Another great way is to visit our website, T-H-E-V-I-C-T-O-R-Y podcast.com. That's thevictorypodcast.com. And you can visit the Where to Listen page. There you can get direct links to whatever your friends or family favorite podcast platform is. And there it'll take you directly to our podcast. And you can share it that way. You can also listen directly on the website using our episode player. Finally, if you'd like to support the Victory Podcast, you can become a part of our Patreon. There you will get access to exclusive content, early access to episodes, and a host of other benefits, including special merchandise that's exclusive to Patreon. So in this episode, as I do every episode, every problem has a solution. It's whether you're willing to do the work to find it. Let's do the work and be victorious.